0: Welcome to the New Grace Sermon Podcast. New Grace exists so people experience new life in Christ. We invite you to connect with us on social media at newgrace.cc on Facebook and Instagram. For more information or to support this ministry financially, visit us at newgrace.cc. Genesis 22. Let's read the entirety of the text so we can get the full grasp of what's happening here. Genesis 22 The Bible says, and it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, behold, here I am. And he said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his ass and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son and clave the wood for the burnt offering and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, abide ye here with the ass and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. And Abraham said, my son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went both of them together. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here am I. And he said, lay not thine hand upon the lad. Neither do anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son from me. Look with me at verse number nine again. And they came to the place which God had told him of. And Abraham built an altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And laid him on the altar upon the wood. Spirit of God, I ask you right now to set this old fleshly box out of the way. You know how I have wrestled in my spirit all week with this word. And I feel like Moses, who is coming down from the mountain with a heavy word in his hand. And I ask you right now that you would connect me in a divine way to this congregation, for they are your people. And you have anointed and you have appointed me to be the under-shepherd of this flock, And you know how easy it is for me to get in the way and mess things up. So I'm asking you right now, Spirit of God, that you would put me in sync with your voice, that I would be a vessel, and that they would not hear my voice, but they would hear the voice of the chief shepherd, that they would hear the voice of the good shepherd. And I pray God right now that you would let your word like a river run through me and preach me, put me on like a suit and wear me for the next half hour and help me to edify your body, to challenge and inspire them to take life-changing action. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the Holy Ghost. We thank you Lord for the spirit of worship that is in this room already tonight. We ask you to bless this time in your presence for it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen and amen. Can we clap our hands on the presence of God tonight? Church, let me submit to you by way of introduction that life, it is filled with valleys and mountains. And every so often... God will bring you to a place in life and require you to journey up a particular mountain, a mountain that is different in its operation than all the other mountains. We, we, we don't really care to walk through the valleys and we often, we often covet and we often wish and wait for those mountaintop experiences where the view and the voice of God is so clear and so bright. and those peak moments in our life. Many of us look back over our shoulder and we see all those mountaintop experiences where God did amazing things, the very first mountaintop being our salvation where we trusted Christ by faith and we were born again of his marvelous power. And we look back at all the things God has done and we see a lot of valleys and we see a lot of mountains, but many of us... Are learning from experience and our own walk with God, that every now and then God will draw you apart to himself because he has assigned a particular, a specific mountain, the mountain of surrender. God sometimes will bring you to a place not so that you can gain, but so that you can learn how to give. God will bring you to a place not to receive, but to release. He'll bring you to this particular mountain not to satisfy, but to teach you sacrifice. He will bring you to this mountain peak not to take up, but to learn how to lay down. And it is here on this mountaintop called Moriah that God has scheduled a divine appointment for Abraham, a place where he will prove his loyalty his love and his life. God. It is here in this mountain and this place where God has invited him to step into a deeper place of surrender. Deeper than ever before. And God has asked him to lay his Isaac down. To sacrifice him as a burnt offering in worship. Ladies and gentlemen here at New Grace tonight, I want to beckon and beseech you with the word of God that tonight we will join Abraham upon this mountaintop and tonight for the first time in many of our lives, we will finally lay Isaac down. I want you to say that with me tonight, lay Isaac down. Somebody say it with me tonight, lay Isaac down. See, Isaac is the one thing between you and God that you did not know was between you and God. Isaac is the one thing that has won over your heart in so much that God winning over your heart is now in jeopardy. Isaac is the one thing that you absolutely cannot live without. I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this tonight. The pinnacle of absolute trust is absolutely surrendering what you cannot absolutely live without. I look around this room and many of us have been here before. We have journeyed up the mountain of surrender and we have some Isaacs in our life that we have laid down and we have come down the mountain to testify and tell you that it was worth the climb it was worth the mountaintop experience of surrender. And we thought we were losing something, but we walked away with more than we could ever imagine. Many of us have been there. Some of us are there right now. This evening, you're at a place in your life where God is inviting you to partake of a deeper walk called surrender. And some of you do not realize it, but before your life is over, God will take you up this same mountain and he will lay before you an invitation to give up what you think you cannot live without. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that it is on the mountaintop of surrender that we begin to share the same experience as that of Abraham. The Bible says that God came to Abraham in verse number one and tempted or tested him and this test that God laid on the table was an ask that Abraham never imagined. He said, I want you to take your son, your only son, who you love. And I want you to go there in the land of Moriah. And I want you to wait until I tell you which mountain. Go upon that mountain and offer your son as an offering to me. This is what we call the test of laying Isaac down. I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this tonight. Based On Abraham's consistent faithfulness, God qualified him as a candidate for yet another test. I wrote this down. God only tests faithful people. I've met people going through struggles and difficulties and trials, and they say things like this in their ignorance. God's just testing me. But they don't have any track record to prove their faithfulness, their loyalty, and their love to God. And what they don't understand is they have just walked upon a situation that is unfortunate. They are actually reaping the very seed in which they sown. They're living in a bed that they laid down in. And there's a lot of people that are going through a funk, or they're going through a place, or they're going through a valley, or they're going through a crisis. And they say, God is testing me. God doesn't test unfaithful people because when God tests one of his people, he doesn't test you to fail, he tests you to pass. Can I submit to you that Abraham was somebody who was worthy of a test? And my my Bible teaches and tells me that God is a good steward of who he gives exams to. God will test somebody that he knows he can trust. The Bible teaches and tells us in the book of Job that it was not Satan's idea to come against Job. Well you know the devil's after me. Well devil ain't got nothing to do with it, it was God's idea. God looked, upon, God looked to and fro to find out who he could trust with a trial. God, I feel like preaching right now. God looked upon the earth to see if there was a man or a woman who could walk the talk full of their integrity, who, who was who they said they were when nobody else was looking. They are the same when the lights are off as when the lights are on. They are the same at church as they are in the living room. They are the same at church as they are in the break room. They're the same at church when they're down on the floor. They're the same at church, bless God, when they're nowhere around church. God said, who can I trust with a test? And the faithfulness of Abraham put him at the front of the line. And God slid an offer across the table and said, that boy that you have waited on for 25 years Don't forget, there is a reason the writer of Hebrews includes every word of what God said in this invitation. Take your son, your only son, which if you're a Bible student, you know that Abraham had a previous son. We'll talk about him in a second. But Isaac's the only son he's got left. And then he puts a comma and says, Whom thou lovest. God is not after what you hate. God is not after what you like. God is after what you love. And my Bible teaches and tells me that I'm supposed to love the Lord my God with all my heart, all my soul, and all my strength and to have no other gods before him. Sometimes God will pop a test, a pop quiz in your life, take you up to the top of a mountain peak of surrender and put you in a place where you've got to trust him blindly and you've got to trust him openly and you've got to trust him totally because God is in the business of finding out what it is close to your heart. That which is closer to your heart than God, that is what God wants tonight. That is the test you will take and that is the ask that God will give. Abraham has wished. He has waited and he has worked for this boy. 75 years old and God says you're going to have a son. Your seed, your son is going to be the nation that I Make for myself, and out of your seed, out of your son's loins, the descendants will yield a Messiah that will save your people from their sins. 25 years he waits for this blessing. And 25 years after this blessing comes, the Bible teaches and tells us that God asked for Isaac back. God wants some of us to graduate. He wants you to graduate and get your diploma and stop loving the gift more than the giver. Some of us are not as far along in the school of the walk with God that we think we are because we love our blessings more than the blesser. And it is nothing for the sovereign hand of God to reach across the table and say, How bad do you want to walk with me and how much do you love me? Are you willing to give back what I gave you? Can you give me what you think you cannot live without? It's a test. It's a test. This is not the first time that Abraham has been acquainted with loss. Genesis 12, God asked Abraham to leave his country, his pagan gods, his father, his family. There was even a point where Abraham and Sarah got impatient with God after all this waiting, thinking, you know what? Maybe we gotta help God out. And so he took Hagar, the handmaid, and he slept with her, and she had a child named Ishmael. And then God looked upon the work of Abraham and Sarah and said, you didn't wait on me. If I give you my word, I'm going to keep my word. But you took matters in your own hands and you forced my will. And he said, you got to cast Hagar and Ishmael out because that will conflict and it will compete with the promise that I have lined up for you. And some of us know what it's like to try to force a counterfeit blessing and make something work, make something happen. Come on, I need everybody who's on round two of a marriage to talk to me right there. I need everybody who flunked out of ministry before to nod your head like you know what I am mean. I'm talking about some of the people who went off the beaten path and you, you got a few scars and you got a few dings and dents to prove that you were too dumb to do it God's way the first time and you had to go through the school of hard knocks and you had to go out there in the wilderness, get your butt kicked by the world and go out there and live like the devil and go out there and make things happen for your own. And you realize that you can't let that stuff hang around because it'll complete. It'll compete in no conflict with what God has for you. He wasn't, he wasn't unfamiliar with loss. There's a difference between what you leave behind and what you lay down. Don't get sanctification and surrender confused. Your Isaac is not a bottle. Your Isaac is not a drug. Your Isaac is not a secret sin. There's nothing wrong with Isaac unless he's between you and God. There's a test in laying Isaac down. But if you, if you follow the storyline, the Bible says that Abraham rose up immediately and took Isaac and he took all of the necessary materials to make this offering possible and he journeys up the mountain and the Bible says that when he gets to the very base of the place of worship, that now all of a sudden he begins to make this trip. Everybody say trip. Trip. Everybody say trip. Trip. See, there's a trip in laying Isaac down. When when you're on your way to the peak of surrender, you begin to discover that it is a process for most people, just like it was for Abraham. In fact, many of us tonight, we share the same similarities that Abraham did in his experience on his way up the mountain. I wish I could tell you that I was saved and the next day surrendered. But I wasn't. I was saved. But I still had plenty of things that I loved more than God. I had plenty of things that I held closer than God. And what I didn't realize is that I was on my way up a mountain of surrender. And when I would get to the peak, it would be life changing. But there were some things that Abraham took up that mountain that I saw me taking, that I see you taking. In fact, when he got to the very base of that mountain, he looked at the young men that were with him and he said, you stay here. What's this now? You stay here. Me and the boy are going up there to worship. It's interesting that in order to get to a place of surrender, Abraham recognized that not everybody was designed to go up the mountain with him. Oh, I'm about to preach up in this place. He recognized that there are some places that some people cannot go. I wrote this down. God told me to tell you this. When you are walking in obedience, it may require you to leave certain people behind. Not everyone will make the trip with you because they are not supposed to. It's interesting. interesting. The writer of Genesis said that they were young men. There are some people that are too immature for surrender. And you love them and they love you and you call them friends and acquaintances. But I'm gonna tell you something, God's about to elevate you to another level of letting go that they are not ready for. Here's the question, are you gonna stay down there and camp out at the base of the mountain with the people you're familiar with or are you going to leave them? I'm preaching to somebody in this room. Are you willing to leave them behind to have an encounter with God that'll completely alter the rest of your life? They're too immature to go with you. They don't understand nor discern the value of real surrender. In fact, if they go up there with you and you try to offer Isaac, they'll try to stop you. They don't understand what God's asked of you. I got a friend right now who does not understand the level of surrender that God has put on my life. And I can take you to the parking lot. I love this individual. This this individual I'm talking about is very dear to me. But I can take you to the parking lot 19 years ago where I looked him in the eye and I said, I can't go there with you to college because God wants me to go this way with my life. He wants me to preach. And I don't even know what that looks like. I don't know what that's supposed to feel like. All I know is I cannot live the rest of my life pursuing that with you. I've got to go do this with God. And if he would have went with me, he would have tried to stop me. That was 19 years ago. And he still doesn't understand why I do what I do. Separation is one of the evidences that you're on your way to surrender. When you begin to re- recognize I'm I'm in a, I've am got people in my sphere of influence. I've got people that sit at the table with me and, and my, my, my weekend friend. Have you, have you ever noticed, here we go, let me help you. Have you ever noticed that there is a vast difference in the health between your Saturday night friends and your Sunday friends? Have, have, you, have you noticed that, that you're on two different levels and God's trying to take you somewhere vacant are not willing to go, and you're in a tug of war between the Holy Ghost and somebody's hand, it's getting, it's getting quiet in here. Is this thing working? See, as he was walking, and this is interesting too, by the way. He looked at those young men and he said, me and the lad are gonna go worship and come again. Me and this boy are going to worship and will come again. I thought he was going up there to kill his son. And he has so much faith. Oh God, this is a nugget. He's got so much faith in what God originally said about Isaac. In fact... If you want to know what was in Abraham's head, you got to go all the way to the New Testament in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, verse number 19, I think it is. And it says that Abraham had so much faith in offering Isaac, it says he was accounting in his head that I guess God is going to have to raise him from the dead. Yeah. You know one of the evidences that someone is on their way to surrender? They have an uncommon faith that doesn't make sense and other people will be on the outside looking in thinking why would you live your life like that? Why would you make decisions like that? Why would you step out on faith like that? Why would you spend money like that? Why would you invest your time like that? Why would you go to church like that? Why would you give your life like that? Why would you worship like that? Why would you pray like that? Why would you get serious like that? Why do you have to go all in like that? Why you gotta be so serious like that? Abraham had an uncommon faith. He's walking up the mountain. Bible says, always confused me. These King James writers confused me. He had fire and wood. He's walking up the mountain to surrender Isaac, and he's got fire and wood. I'm like, Fire? Was he like a street fighter character carrying like a ball of fire in his hand as he's walking up the mountain? What? Fire and wood? Fire could be rendered or translated as kindling wood. Something flammable that can start the fire. Wood, something something that's flammable that can sustain the fire. And I got to thinking about my life, I got thinking about your life, and I thought to myself, God, so many of us look a whole lot like Abraham. We started separating ourselves from people that aren't willing to go with us. We've got an uncommon faith believing that God just can because he's just able. We've seen him do it before and we know he can do it again. And we're like Abraham walking up that mountain ready to surrender. And we've got a fire, a fire burning inside of us, a fire lighting upon our life, a fire that nothing or nothing, nothing or nobody in this world could ever give us a fire. There's something about the fire of God when it hits your life. Oh, does anybody in this room know about the fire I'm talking about? Uh, the Bible says that our God is a consuming fire. Uh, I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, when it jumps on you, like it jumps on some of his people, honey, it is a raging forest fire that nothing in this world could ever extinguish or put out. Am I preaching to anybody, anybody like Jeremiah, crawling up out of that cave? You say, I got a fire that is shut up in my bones. There's something about the fire of God. That fire. Dead-end religion can't give it to you. We could go through all the routines of church traditionalism and it couldn't give it to you. There's something about what gets caught when you get close to something on fire. A preacher told me a long time ago, he said, son, when you go start that church, you just set it on fire because people will come and watch it burn. I found out, bless God, if you, if you start a church in redneck territory, rednecks like fire, they'll come watch it burn. I need a witness. Anybody glad you go to a church that is lit? Come on, somebody. I've had my taste of dead in religion. I've had my taste of parched, dried up church. I want it, bless God, piping hot. I want it zealous. I want it burning. I want it blazing. I want it on fire. Our God is a consuming fire. He's walking up there. He's got a separation from the people that won't understand. Y'all stay with me. I promise I'm going somewhere. He's got this uncommon faith in the ability of God. He's got his fire, he's got his knife. I said, Lord, what's that knife represent? He took me to Ephesians chapter six and Hebrews chapter four, that the word of God is like a sharp two-edged sword. Paul said that the word of God is the sword of the spirit. I wrote this down right here. I wish I could say this was for everybody, but it's not. But some of you are right here. This is how close you are to the top of this mountain. You're at a point in your life where you're starting to become skilled with this knife. See, it's one thing to separate yourself from bad influence. It's one thing to separate yourself from people who don't wanna go where God wants you to go. It's another thing when you're just, you got that, that big old dreamy heavenly faith. God can do anything. I've seen him do it, bless God, I believe it. And you've prayed some crazy stuff at that altar across the street and at this altar in the last two weeks. And you've got your fire. You're one of the first ones on your feet. You're one of the first ones to raise your hands. You're one of the first ones to give God a hand clap. You're one of the first ones to just burn but the further you get up that mountain, you got to get to a point where you actually know why you believe what you believe. Because this, this sword right here, it was made to divide between what is false and true. Some I'll give you an example. Some of us grew up and we heard a pastor all of our life say, you got to ask Jesus in your heart. You got a chapter and a verse for where someone asked Jesus in their heart? Somebody told me, some of y'all come from full-blown Pentecostal backgrounds and a preacher looked you in the eyes and said, you can lose your salvation if you sin a certain way. Okay, so you're gonna tell me that if you are truly saved that you can't lose your salvation. Chapter and verse. See, when I say at the end of a service, I know that I know that I know I'm saved. It's because I already know what God said about me being saved. I'm not hanging my hat on an emotion. I'm not hanging my hat on the progress I've made up the mountain. I'm starting to get to the point where I know how to use my knife because my knife will poke holes in your traditional theology. My knife will cut right through the fabric of fallacy and falsehood. My knife will divide between my soul and my spirit. Some of you joined a small group. You took a discipleship class and now you know how to cut up your own steak. You don't need a knife for milk. You need a bottle and a bib. But bless God, if you're eating filet mignon, you've learned how to use your knife. Talk about progress, making that trip up the mountain. Let me hit you with this. God's not impressed, though, with what you carry. He's after what you'll lay down. God's not impressed by how much you've separated yourself from the immature. God's not impressed with this outlandish faith to believe. God's not impressed with the fire of your praise and worship. And God's not impressed if you know how to use his word. In fact, when a person became a Christian it was just understood you're gonna figure out what that word says that's kind of the foundation for why you believe what you believe God's after what you lay down he gets to the top of this mountain to the very place that God tells I'm telling you there will come a time in your life See, some of you are not. See, just now you've just assessed how far you are up the mountain, because some of us are not there yet. But the time will come; you will arrive at the place where God will designate an ask that is beyond your comprehension. He builds an altar. He ties the hands and the feet of his son and he lays him down. This is the moment of truth. Is he going to go through with this? He takes the knife, he raises the knife. He's looking into the eyes of his boy, the boy that he longed for, the boy that he wished for, that he prayed for. And he is about to execute a transaction between him and the God of heaven. I wonder if Abraham's mind went back in that moment to the very first animal he ever sacrificed. When he looked in the eyes of a baby lamb and he looked in those liquid eyes of fear as he raised that knife and plunged it right into the side of its neck and moved it across its throat as to spill its blood upon an altar and lit the fire and burned its body as an act of offering and worship to God. I wonder if his mind went back to taking that innocent life. And he raises his hand and as he raises his hand in surrender and release, out of the heavens, God calls Abraham. Abraham. And he starts his answer the same way he initiated the conversation with God days prior. Here I am. I'm right here. And God says, Don't lay a hand upon the lad. For now, everybody say now. Now. For now I know that you fear me seeing that you have not withheld your son from me. Help me close this thing, JJ. What Abraham discovered at the peak of surrender, at the altar with Isaac, when he raised his hand, ready to bring that knife into the chest of his son, God looked upon the willingness and the intent of his heart and he knew that Abraham was for real. The truth about laying Isaac down. Are you ready? The truth is this. It's not your Isaac God wants, it's you. It It wasn't Isaac. Isaac was the tool that God used to win over Abraham's heart. Isaac was the currency that God used to win over Abraham's love because Isaac was the thing that Abraham loved more than anything in the world, that he wanted more than anything in the world, and God put his finger on the one thing that Abraham couldn't live without, and he said, I want you to give that to me. When he went to slay his son and offered up, God said, the willingness you have to lay this down for me is the proof and the evidence that you love me more than Isaac. That day Abraham chose God over Isaac. Ladies and gentlemen, the mark of absolute surrender is when there's nothing withheld from God. I don't think you heard me tonight. The mark of absolute surrender is when there's nothing withheld from God. You know how you're supposed to live your Christian life? Don't hold anything back from God. Everything you have, everything you own, everything you love, it all belongs to Him. And when you come to a place where you're willing to give everything to God, God's finally got you down to what He really wants, you. What is the Isaac? You're being put to the test. God's put his finger on something. You're making your trip up this mountain to show God you mean business, that you're loyal and you love him. But what is the Isaac between you and God? I've only had a few. One was a Louisville slugger bat. One was a church, this one. It's the only baby me and Ashley have together. Some of y'all are real confused right now, it's okay. (laughs) I sat in that Bilo parking lot the other day and I just looked at it and I said, all right, Lord. I said, this is a pretty weird business tactics. You know, we sign, you know, hey, where do you want us to send the money? Send it here. And you sign it and you send the money. And uh, it. you don't get a bigger N-O than someone sending money back to you in the business world, right? And I'm sitting there looking at it and I'm like, I thought, and it's just me and God being honest. It's like, I really thought that this was it. Like all signs pointed here. And I was told that I would hear back in two weeks, and I've emailed, and I've texted, and I've called, and I've done everything, but get one of these guys around here to pay somebody a visit. (laughs) And I just, I said it out loud in case my heart wasn't clear. I said, God, i lay this down too. It's been seven weeks, and we ain't heard back. I don't want to love where we're going more than the God I'm going there for. Yeah. I don't... And all and I, and I, it wasn't it nothing wasn't eloquent. I know some of y'all think that some of us pastors and preachers, we you know, levitate off the floor and sing Kumbaya and run around in the tulips barefoot and all that crap. I, I just, I just, it's just real simple. It wasn't nothing eloquent. It ain't nothing worth writing down. I just said, I'm okay if you don't let us keep this. That's what surrender looks like is when you take what God gave you and you slide it across the table and you just say, I'm okay if I don't keep this. If you raise him from the dead, I'm okay with that. And if this knife causes him to never breathe again, I'm okay with that. I have already taken all four of my children and slid them across the altar to God and said, they are yours. They are yours. I've taken my marriage with Ashley and I've slid it across the altar and I've said, it's yours. My home, I was out on the patio the other day and my mind went back when I was sitting on that patio and I was, I was looking at our grass, it's, it's, it's green. Our grass is green, I've never had green grass before. First house we ever bought, the, the backyard was nothing but dirt. 100% dirt in the backyard. I've got green grass at my house. Legal green grass <laughs> at my house. And I was sitting on that, I was sitting on the patio. JJ, I was sitting on the patio and it just, it, it's like he just walked out there with me. And I, and I got to thinking about that little east side apartment that me and Ashley lived in. We were living up in the hood when we first got married. <laughs> I, I just, I was like, wow, look at all that God has done. Look at how faithful he is be walking down the halls of the house and I'll hear Ava in her room singing like a bird and I remember when I slid that little girl across an altar to God and said she's yours whatever you want to do with her whatever you want to do with my kids I wish one of them would be a pro athlete but God whatever you want to do God <laughs> I just I gave I gave the church to God in 2018 I've given the location thing to God, obviously. Don't have much of a choice there. There's so many things that I wanna do in my heart for God. And I think the the most growth that I'll ever experience is when I give up those things, because there's a part of me, if I'm not careful, my love and my loyalty to God will hinge on whether or not God let some of those things happen. There are dreams that me and some of the people in this room have dreamed but I do not want my love and my loyalty to be contingent on whether or not God comes through because my God is not a genie in a bottle. My God is not a wind up jack in the box. My God is not Saint Nick coming to bring to bring Christmas presents. My God is a faithful father and he knows what's best and he works all things together for good to them that love him to them that are called according to his purpose I want to tell you something right now you can't out give God anything you give God ladies and gentlemen he can do exceeding abundantly above all you can ask or even think have you ever dedicated your household to God Have you ever told God that you're okay with however everything about your life turns out as long as it's in his hands? Some of you got fire. Great, God's not impressed. Some of you are learning how to study the word of God. Great, God's not impressed. Some of you have separated yourself in acts of sanctification and serious steps with God. He's not impressed. Some of you have faith that can move mountains. He's not impressed. What God wants to know is will you lay down the thing you're tempted to love more than me and are you okay if he keeps it? What's between you and God tonight? You'll never find a person who's lived a life of surrender that doesn't know how to make an altar. Some of us need to bring our children. Some of us need to bring our marriage. Some of us have been blessed and favored financially, in business ways in ways of prosperity that just doesn't make sense, and you need to bring that thing to God and say, I've refused to let my possessions possess me. Some of you need to bring that thing. You're so worried about the image and how you look and appear to everybody else in the world, and you need to bring that to God. Some of you have a devotion and a direction in life and a dream, and you need to lay that thing down in front of God and say, I'm okay no matter how you let this turn out.